T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Good morning. Sunday morning. Here on Hardline News Radio 930 WBEN. All right, I can't do the same joke two weeks in a row. I apologize. I, uh, I went back to the well. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and back from vacation, Brenda Alacy. Brenda, welcome back. Thank you, Joe. Great to be back with you. How are you this morning? Doing well. And uh, again, Brenda, just another packed week of politics. Uh, just when you think no more news could break in the week, you've got the governor saying, hey, Movie theaters can open on Friday. Well, I'll tell you, it's about time. And I was really struck by the interview earlier this week with Susan and Brian with Jerry Buchheit, who owns Quaker Crossing and Orchard Park, when he talked about how he had appealed to the governor with a 30-page document about how they had um, cleansed the theater and all the things they were doing to meet the safety protocols. And, uh, and they got no response whatsoever. And there was just, it seemed like an arbitrary decision that they were keeping theaters closed. And, you know, uh, people are out of work. People need a place to go for entertainment. It was just unconscionable to me that the governor would not respond to what appeared to be a very well-thought-out plan by these theater owners and even uh, independent theater owners like Lynn Kinsella at the Aurora Theater. You know, how unfair to leave these people dangling out there so I was thrilled to hear that um, the theaters are going to be open. And I happened to see the Cuomo update, and he just sort of casually mentioned, oh, by the way, we can open theaters now. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's uh, welcoming <laughs> news. It's welcoming news. And you know what? With the lack of movies that are out now, it'll be nice to go to uh, the Aurora Theater and maybe see a Christmas favorite that, you know, you haven't seen in the theaters for 20, 30 years. So uh, definitely looking forward to that and uh, definitely getting myself to East Aurora once uh, the movie theaters do open. Well, when you do, I'm going to ask you to pick me up some popcorn because oh. I have the best <laughs> popcorn there. I love that. They do. I love that place. I love the charm of their theater. And I'm just so happy to, to know that people are getting back to work um, and, you know, finding that there's a little bit of entertainment in this rather surreal world that we're living in these days. Getting back to work and doing it safely. That's all we can ask here in New York. And joining us for the first uh, segment, talking about getting back to work, getting back to campaigning, a guy who was just elected a few months ago, back to keep that seat in Congress. It is Congressman Chris Jacobs joining us. Congressman, good morning. Uh, good morning, Joe. Good, good morning, Brenda. Thanks for having me. Hello. Always good to talk with you, uh, Congressman. And uh, you know, it's been a while since we chatted, and, and now you're in Washington. What has it been like for you in the first couple of months now that you've been uh, elected as a congressman for NY27? Uh, it's been busy, very busy. Uh, <laughs> honored to be in office and uh, 
was sworn in in, uh, in mid-July, and uh, literally about a half hour later, I, I cast my first vote. So uh, it, it's, uh, it's been a baptism by fire, kind of, but it's been great uh, to be down there and uh, been really working to get the office and uh, the representation back up and running. Uh, you know, when I, uh, when I announced a year and a half ago to run for this seat, I said, New York 27th deserved full representation, and I didn't think it w could happen with Chris Collins being under indictment and um, not being able to serve on committees and so forth. And uh, so I'm trying to restore that level of representation. I was a, became aware right after uh, winning the election that actually all the offices had been closed down and all the staff let go on the 27th. So I've been very, uh, working very hard to get uh, the offices back up and running and staffed up, both down in Washington and up here in, in our, our, our district. And uh, uh, I'm happy to say we've done that now. I'm fully staffed up in, in Washington uh, and active legislatively and uh, committee work. And also, as important, uh, or I'd argue even more important, the local offices back open. and. Uh, caseworkers back on the job I, I, to do the constituent work and the, the significant backlog we've had of need for our residents dealing with things like um, you know not getting their stimulus check or not getting their tax refund or uh, veterans. Uh, we just had an immense backlog because uh, no one was there to do anything. And uh, I would uh, acknowledge and thank uh, Congressman uh, Higgins and Congressman Reed who both stepped in during this time to help a bit, but uh, we're very busy. We've, we have about 300 open cases uh, that, that we're working on now. We've secured, helped get our residents over $50,000 in, in money they deserve. So uh, that is getting going and we're doing the people's work. Uh, the other thing I'm very excited about, when I first got in, I had a meeting with Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, and I really made the case uh, that I, I wanted to be on and, and that he'd consider putting me on the Agriculture Committee. Uh, you know that uh, the New York 27th District, the biggest sec economic sector, the biggest employer, is our agriculture. And I wanted to be in a position where I really could advocate for them and not being a farmer, admittedly, learn more ab about uh, the issues uh, facing our farmers and agriculture sector. Uh, so I was thrilled that uh, Leader McCarthy put me on. I've learned so much already uh, being on that. And, uh, you know, next year we'll be at the starting stages of a new farm bill. Uh, so that um, will be great that I can be on, uh, on the committee at the early stages if we begin that framework uh, so I can do, um, in, in terms of policy, what is needed for the district. And uh, two other things very interested in, in terms of agriculture, um, uh, you know, we have great farmers and farms throughout the district. I want to make sure they thrive. Uh, but we also have some real success stories of agribusiness, businesses, uh, in the agriculture sector uh, where they you know, use as the raw material uh, a product grown in our district. And uh, we have a, a HP hood. Um, and they have the, the creamers that you see on every table and in restaurants. Uh, they have a huge facility, over 300 jobs in Batavia. You know, the, the, uh, the milk comes from our local farmers uh, and is supplied to HP hood. And it's such a great win-win. Uh, I also toured in Medina. Uh, uh, ethanol plant uh, that's been there for 20 years, started by two farmers uh, years ago when they were struggling uh, in the corn uh, crop because the prices have gone down so much. Uh, they started this ethanol plant that now all those farms that grow corn are supplying that plant 
pr providing significant jobs at the plant and also saving all those farms. So I, I would really like to see more of that. And then finally, this is a, probably one of the most significant issues uh, that cuts across all the districts, not just ag, is the need for high-speed internet uh, or rural broadband throughout uh, our district. We have so many communities that are, uh, that are without uh, this critical, critical um, uh, element in their lives. And, and uh, right now in particular, it's highlighted with COVID during, due to you know, people needing telemedicine services, uh, remote learning for our students, uh, and our farms are very high-tech and need that. So uh, ag, the Ag Department and the Ag Committee is where a lot of that happens and those decisions to make sure we have resources. Uh, this is as, as, nece as necessary as uh, you know, having a phone or water or anything nowadays. Uh, so I want to make sure that NY27 uh, has the best Internet uh, as we move forward so we could compete and our quality of life can be maintained. Definitely, as uh, a lot of kids are now doing schooling online, it's so important to have internet in those communities. Uh, Congressman, you know, you were thrown in D.C. at a very uh, weird time, I think. Uh, you ha won the, the special election and now have to run for re-election right away, and you get into Washington, D.C., while everyone in Congress is running for election or re-election and in the middle of a presidential election, what was that like? And have you noticed any obstacles uh, of being put into Washington in such a strange time? Oh, absolutely. It is, it is a strange time. Certainly strange just going down and trying to meet people and you're all wearing masks. And, uh, you know, usually if I were to come in in January, uh, you know, I'd be in a class of freshmen and orientations and all those things. You know, you're really on your own trying to figure it out. I mean, people have been very helpful, but uh, you're right. It's a very difficult time. I'm, I'm frustrated with the partisan nature of things. Uh, you know, I'm really uh, disappointed that we did not get a new stimulus bill. Uh, I thought that was going to happen in late July when I first got down there. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi has really uh, been a, right now an impediment. Uh, she is, uh, she wants this enormous uh, stimulus bill, $3 trillion that, uh, that would be the biggest piece of legislation or, or expenditure that we've seen in our nation's history. Uh, but in it is, uh, you know, a laundry list of kind of liberal wish list of things that, you know, really don't have much to do with COVID. And the, uh, both the bills that the versions they've done mention cannabis or marijuana more than they mention jobs. And uh, so, you know, it's very frustrating. And we put forth a, a couple pieces of, uh, I thought, pragmatic legislation saying, look, as we negotiate the bigger, uh, a bigger stimulus, how about doing some targeted things uh, that we can get done now? Uh, one of them was regarding the very successful Paycheck Protection Program, which has helped so many small businesses and nonprofits in our community. Uh, well, we found out that uh, there's $130 billion that was allocated to the Paycheck Protection Program that's still there and unused. Just the the deadline for application expired. So this legislation we put forth said, just do another round of, of applications. Uh, but Nancy Pelosi wouldn't do that. She was kind of holding those sort of things hostage uh, for her, her, bigger, her bigger bill. Uh, we also had one just targeted to provide that Tom Reed led on, Senator, uh, Congressman Reed, to provide aid just to local municipalities which are struggling. But uh, twofold, either she's, um, holding this hostage for the bigger bill, or she just doesn't want a bill done. She doesn't want a stimulus done before November uh, because she thinks it would benefit the president. And 
that's really disturbing because I think that, you know, we are in a crisis here. We are in a war with, uh, with COVID, and usually we kind of come together on these sort of things. Uh, uh, and I was hopeful that the, that could happen. And I, I hope that I'm wrong, and we do get something done before November, but uh, I'm not, not optimistic. But I'll keep pushing, as I will with my colleagues, and uh, we, we, we hope uh, at the worst-case scenario it's soon after November uh, because people are still struggling in our communities, and we got to reopen. Uh, we got to do it safely, but we do need to get this economy and and our lives back. Congressman, speaking of the stimulus package, I think Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are at 2.2 trillion. Uh, Republicans, I think, are at 1.8 trillion. Are you are the Republicans willing to budge at all, or is 1.8 trillion the set number? Well, I think it seems to me like the president has has been you know he's come up uh, to a significant number. Uh, so I, I, what I, I worry about and what I see is that every time they come up that, uh, and, you know, I think this was one reason why um, a week or so ago the president just uh, walked away for a while because he just wanted to send, I, being the negotiator he is, I think he sensed that, uh, that there was just games being played and there was really not a desire uh, to get something done. So, uh, you know, I think that the uh, administration has shown itself to uh, be willing to bring the number up, but... Uh, um, my concern is that when you meet what they want, they're going to pull the goalpost back again because true, there, there really may be desire not to have anything happen until, uh, until the, after the, the election because getting something done would help the president. Congressman, um, when you won the election in June, um, there was a lot of talk about how the president uh, tweeted his full support for you. And now I notice in your latest advertising, your focus really doesn't, uh, is more on jobs, and it really doesn't mention President Trump, uh, certainly as prominently as the first ad campaigns did. Are you looking to distance yourself from him, or is it just a different focus? What, what was the thinking behind that? I, I mean, I don't think there's any secret. I, I'm supportive of the president's policies, his major policies, I just think have been very good for this nation and very good for our area. Uh, the, you know, historic tax reform that he did that, uh, caused the lowest unemployment we've seen in 40 years and uh, such a job-creating economy and a wage-growing economy for every sector from African-Americans to Hispanic-Americans to women. Uh, and it was certainly getting our economy started going again uh, in our area. Um, I fully support the president's effort to really stand up for America on the international stage, uh, you know, saying to NATO, you know, you got to pay your fair share. We're not going to, you know, subsidize you. you got to pay what you owe. And then trade deals that are finally good for Americans as opposed to good for other countries. And the USMCA, uh, the replacement of NAFTA, huge benefit to our area. Um, and then, you know, certainly China. You know, he, the president was the canary in the coal mine on the, the threat of China, you know, coming out early in his campaign and, and being criticized. And now we see that he was right. Commun you know, China is a communist nation, and we need to treat them that way. Um, so... Uh, and finally, uh, you know, keeping us safe um, uh, and supporting uh, the men and women in blue. Uh, and I think that, you know, all those things I support. But I'm in office now, so I'm, as I'm talking to you about what I'm doing as your congressperson, uh, I, I, that's what I'm focused on now, that what I will be able to do as a member of Congress for this area. And that's fighting for my constituents on the ground and fighting for them in terms of legislation down in Washington. Uh, and right now, certainly, the biggest issue is COVID and, uh, and reopening 
uh, in a safe way. And so that's really my, my main focus right now. Uh, I do think there's a couple bright spots that have come out of COVID. And I think one of them, as I mentioned, the issue of China. I think uh, we realize now uh, what China is and that, uh, that we need to, as we talk about socially distancing, we need to economically distance uh, from China. And I think we're going to see a lot of policies on a bipartisan basis. Even Joe Biden has talked about China now in, in a non a complimentary way because he realizes the trends are going against him. Uh, we we got to work to bring uh, manufacturing back here. We need to make sure our, our critical pharmaceuticals and drugs are, ma- are manufactured locally or at least with a, uh, locally being in, in, in this nation or at least with a friendly national, international partner um, and also grow more here so our, our, we, we don't disrupt our food supply. Um, that's going to be good for our area. We are going to be able to make more here and grow more here. Uh, and then one other issue locally, as I mentioned, is this rural broadband. Um, we realize that uh, the digital divide is a real issue and it's getting more pronounced, and we need to make sure that our communities, whether it's an inner city or a rural community, have the same amount of capacity that other places in this country have. Uh, I think that was an area we will see more investment in, uh, highlighted because of the, the pronounced need during COVID. To follow up, you mentioned about the uh, canary in the coal mine, and I think the president certainly deserves credit for cutting off uh, travel. But uh, how did you feel about him saying he didn't want to panic the American people when it comes to uh, the coronavirus and what he revealed to Bob Woodward? Well, I think he clarified that, that, that remark. I mean, I judge people by their actions, and, you know, the president took actions uh, matching the seriousness of what COVID was and the threat of COVID uh, by, as you mentioned, being out there very, very early on closing China down. That saved thousands and thousands of lives. Um, The Defense Production Act and and, and harnessing our private sector uh, in regards to making ventilators, PPE, and beginning towards a vaccine uh, project Warp Speed, which will bring vaccine to market by leaps and bounds that we've ever, ever seen. in, in terms of New York and New York City, when they were in the midst of, of, of this COVID crisis, the USS Comfort coming into the harbor in New York was a huge sign and assistance. And the Army Corps of Engineers converting the Javits Center almost overnight into a hospital. Um, no one went without ventilators in our area. Uh, and I, I think that the president took this very, very seriously. His actions were matching with the seriousness of this. So. You know, we have a long way to go. Uh, we're still in the midst of this. I know there's an uptick right now, as, as many people talked about, most likely probably because people are going back indoors. Uh, so we need, to, we need to be focused on that. Uh, but we also need, as we get through this, and hopefully a vaccine does come before the end of the year, uh, we need to also make sure that this never happens again. And this more is an international effort to make sure uh, that we have uh, the ability to identify when something this pops up and have oversight over you know, nations that might not be honest with us uh, on, on what is happening. So uh, we never, you know, if this was nipped at the, nipped at the butt in, in China, uh, we would not be talking about this and talking about over 200,000 lives lost. Uh, now, I will say that the president's actions, as I said, being uh, serious and real and substantive, you know, the projections were over 2 million. Uh, when we first uh, we first got into this, so every life lost is so tragic. We don't want any, but uh, credit should be um, given to those who helped mitigate this 
unprecedented, unprecedented uh, pandemic. But Congressman, what about the, the mask issue? I mean, the president was really uh, dismissive of it um, initially, and now, you know, he's he's wearing a mask more so. Although yesterday at his rally, I saw many, many people in the crowd in Muskegon, Michigan, with no masks, and they were shoulder to shoulder. And then Chris Christie came out after being in the hospital for seven days with COVID, saying he was wrong. You should wear a mask. Um, do you think there's mixed messages here by the president? Well, I, I can just speak for our area myself. I, you know, I wear a mask, uh, you know, a social distance, and uh, I encourage everyone to do that. It's, you know, it's become clear the CDC has said uh, people should do that uh, when they are not unable to social distance, and certainly inside is, a, is, is an, e e even more important to do that. Uh, so my message is wear a mask, uh, socially distant, be responsible. But, uh, you know, you, we're going we're gonna to use our judgment as well. If you're outside and, you know, have a significant distance from people, you know, you, if you decide that that's safe, uh, people are going to do that too. I'm, I'm not for um, what uh, President, uh, Vice President Biden is talking about as a federal uh, mandate nationally. I think you see here people are being, I believe, on the whole, very responsible. You go to Wegmans, everybody's wearing a mask. Uh, and, uh, and I think if somebody didn't, they would, they would be escorted out either by all the eyeballs looking at them were actually escorted out. So I, I think we're, we're, we're adjusting to this. We're, we're understanding the severity of it. And I think now, as we head into colder months, we, we have to, again, uh, redouble our efforts because this will be another challenge as people go back inside. And, and we certainly... Uh, don't want uh, this to be combined with a, a flu um, to, to, you know, cause a major uptick in hospitalizations. I will say I, I've talked to some people in the healthcare sector uh, who say that they, they believe due to the fact that people are wearing masks, due to the fact that people are being more cognizant of if they're sick, staying home, and um, the cleaning their hands and cleaning surfaces, uh, we may be blessed with uh, not a significant flu season. Uh, they said down in South America, uh, because their winter was, you know, when our summer was, that, that uh, they did not have a big uh, flu season because of those things. So that might be one bright spot. Congressman, one last thing. You know, we've seen a lot of video from 20, 30 years ago, and surprisingly, we see the same people in the same seats in Washington. Do you think in your uh, time in Congress you'll ever propose legislation for term limits? Uh, yes. Hey, thank you for asking that. I'm, you know, I first piece of legislation I introduced when I was in the state Senate was term limits. I believe strongly in them. I believe people should go down for a period of time, um, whether it's Albany or whether it's Washington or somewhere else, serve for a period of time and leave. Um, you know, most of the problems we have um, with corruption are people that have been in for a very long time and gained the system to benefit themselves. We want people to go in for a while, serve, make a difference, and come back live under the laws that, that they pass. So I am on a piece of, uh, I've co-sponsored a, a term limit legislation down in Washington as well. Uh, and I will continue to fight for that. I think it's very important. We need more people, uh, citizen soldiers, to come in, make a difference, and then, and then leave. Uh, too many career people in, uh, in Albany, and I, 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 as I, my limited time down in Washington, I'd say the very same thing. NY27 Congressman Chris Jacobs. Chris, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Best of luck uh, as you move forward in the campaign and in Congress. Thank you very much to you both. Bye-bye. And we will be back uh, and talk with uh, 
Chris's opponent, Nate McMurray, the Democrat running for the NY27 seat. We'll take a quick break for news and a couple of other messages and be back right after. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back. It's Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Usually your Bills pregame political show, not today. You have till 5 o'clock tomorrow uh, until the Bills will hopefully not upset us again. Today we uh, are doing a little NY27. Remember a few months ago? Or two years ago, when that's all we talked about. Kind of fell from the headlines. We're bringing it back. Congressman Chris Jacobs joined us the first segment. That's available at WBEN.com. His opponent, Nate McMurray, joining us for the second segment of this hour. Nate, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Brenda. Morning. Thank you for joining us, Nate. Nate, let me ask you this. This is the third time you're running from this seat. Uh, what are some things you've learned, some things you might have changed up about the campaign as uh, you go for NY27? Well, the biggest thing I learned is that if this district was even a little bit fair, we would have won in a landslide. I mean, we've already won over more conservatives and Republicans than any candidate in the country. But, you know, you have these gerrymandered seats which is not just fair to Republic or unfair to Democrats, it's unfair to Republicans too. Because let's say you're a Republican, you vote in this district. You know, there's the chance that your vote's going to make a difference are far less. And then if you're, you're in a different district next door, where you have a lot of Democrats, if you're a Republican, it's the vice versa. So you have a situation where you really have these terrible districts where make it so you have bad candidates like Chris Collins or Chris Jacobs, they get elected despite running very bad campaigns. Nate, uh, I wanted to talk to you about um, some of the issues that have been raised recently about fundraising. And you've been talking about how your donors are really grassroots donors. And there is a limit, however, um, by the federal uh, election commission about the limit that they can make in terms of a donation. And it's $2,800. And you've uh, developed a sizable campaign uh, Kitty. Um, But there's also some concern about these warnings that you've gotten from the federal election campaign. Um, If if that's if they're accusing you of sloppy filing, isn't that a concern um, about perhaps attention to detail or or accurate record keeping? Isn't that a concern for people who may consider putting you into office? What the concern should be is about corporate money and politics. And we have nearly 4,000 individual donations. So, of course, we're going to have more paperwork than a guy like Chris Collins, who, or Chris Jacobs, rather, who put a check in for $500,000 of his own money. 
I mean, he only has corporate donations. And his biggest donor is Delaware North, a company that fired me and fired a lot of people in western New York and has billions of dollars and still decided to let go half of its staff, a company that the Boston Globe called the face of corporate greed during the pandemic. So, yeah, we have a lot of small donations. I mean, I think that's a great thing. And the fact that we're competitive with a family of billionaires that are bankrolling this guy's campaign and a guy who put $500,000 of his own money into the campaign, um, who was inherited that wealth, he never really worked. I'm very proud of the way we run our campaign. You, I mean, you don't see campaigns like this anywhere, uh, not just in Western New York, in the country. You don't have campaigns that have this many small dollar donations. And I'm excited about that. I'm proud of that. But Nate, back to the, my point, though, that you've received at least nine letters about this sloppy filing. Uh, how did that happen? Well, it's the same way it happens with any small, as, as was stated in the article you're referencing, any campaign that has this many small donations, they will, it has this type of issues with going back and forth about classifying checks or how the checks are classified because we have so many small dollar donations. And that's exactly how it happened. When you're processing 4,000 or 3,000 donations versus a handful of donations, there's obviously going to be more back and forth with the FEC or anybody else. But the fact of the matter is we are a grassroots campaign, and that should be something that makes the people at home um, excited about our campaign. We've never taken corporate money. I've never, listen, we've had opportunities. Companies have come to us and say, hey, will you take some money? But I know there's strings attached. And you should understand that we're probably the only campaign in all of New York State that never took a dollar of corporate money. Nate, you, uh, you tweet a lot. And on Twitter, you talk a lot about COVID. And my thoughts are, what are your thoughts, actually, your thoughts on the way COVID's being handled nationwide and how COVID's being handled in-state? Well, go back and listen to my tape with you and me a couple months ago or early in the year. I'm the same exact position. You know, it's not an issue of opening up or closing. I, I talk to small business owners. They're desperate to open. And most of us are desperate to open. But you can't open without a testing and tracking strategy on a national level. We have 50 different strategies in the state level. There's never been a national strategy. And we're the only country in the world with this many deaths. You can make any excuse you want about it. But we're the only country with this many deaths. We have about 4 or 5% of the world's population and 25% nearly of the world's deaths. And, we have, it's, and the thing that's most frustrating about it is these foreign countries that are doing so well, they're using our technology to do it. They're using our, like, people that were trained in our universities. It's not that America doesn't have the ability to tackle this. The problem is the president lied to us about it. He told us. He told us it's going to disappear. He's still saying it. When we know we have his voice on recording saying how dangerous it is and what a dilemma it's going to be for our country. So the number one thing is we need a president that shows by example who he is and how he can lead. And the second thing we need is we need a national testing and tracking strategy. This is not that difficult. You can blame China. You can blame whatever country you want. But Taiwan, I mean, Taiwan is, has millions of interactions with China, mainland China. Taiwan is one of our allies. It's a strategic partner in many ways. And Taiwan has seven deaths. Erie County has almost 700 deaths. So this has been a disaster on almost every single level, and it's something we should learn from and benchmark. 
and those responsible on the state level and the national level should be held accountable. Okay, th- th- that last comment. So you're not saying all the blame just goes to one person. You're, you're saying that there's also state, there's state leadership to blame as well, right? Yes, there is. Okay, now something that you would be part of— Here's with the president. Now something that you would be part of if you were elected is the stimulus. What do you think of stimulus negotiations? Both parties seem set on their numbers, uh, neither one to budge. If you were in Congress, what would you do to try to get a bipartisan agreement? I just get it done. I mean, this is crazy. We have, you know, 8 million people have shifted into poverty since May. 900,000 people applied for unemployment last week. Unemployment's about to run out. And when unemployment run out, runs out, you're going to see people losing their homes. You saw the city of Batavia just raise their taxes by, they proposed by 89%, I think. I mean, this is, this is really crazy. I mean, if you think it's bad now, it's going to get even worse. Cause, because we don't have a national strategy. And I think everyone listening, even if you love President Trump, you can't feel confident about him going into the second wave of the virus. You, can, you just can't. And beyond that, we don't have a, we don't have a financial strategy. And, and I think that I think there's a lot of blame to go along to both sides of the aisle. They need to get something done. I mean, I think it, it's difficult when the president says, I'm not negotiating, I'm proud, and the next day says, oh, okay, I will negotiate. You never know where you stand with this guy. And that's difficult. But they got to figure it out because a lot of families are struggling and a lot of municipalities are struggling. You, you mentioned taxes, and again, you're running on the Democrat Party and pretty much running against President Trump. Um, uh, if Joe Biden's elected, he said he would raise taxes. As someone in Congress, would you approve that with the times we're in right now with this pandemic? Never raise taxes on middle class people. And I'm not running against President Trump. I'm running against President, or I'm running against Chris Collins or Chris Jacobs. And Chris Jacobs has had a history of being in office for a long time. Can you name one thing he's done? Can you name one thing tangible that he's done? And speaking of taxes, wasn't he a state senator? What, what has he done? What has he done to help taxes in New York State? But my question to you is, would you— Let me, let me finish. When I was a state, when I was a small-town leader, we kept our town under the tax cap every single year. And we had surpluses in all of our accounts. That's the same attitude I'll bring to Congress. I would never raise taxes on the middle class. I will raise taxes on people like Chris Jacobs, people who have literally almost none of their income is taxed because most of it is in trust or some other type of protected asset. But I'll never raise taxes on middle class people. But you would raise it on their employers? No, I would not. I would raise it on trust fund people who have endless dynastic wealth that's hidden away that we've cut taxes on for years and years. I know you say you're, you're not running against President Trump, but if I look at your Twitter, you mentioned President Trump more than you mentioned Congressman Jacobs. Oh, well, he's on the ba- – He's listen, he's not on the ballot against me. So clearly I'm not running against him technically. Now, do I oppose his position? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the fact that, you know, Chris Jacobs was against him and then he went for him. Now I think he's against him again. I'm not sure. I can't really follow it. Um, but, you know, at least you know where you stand with me. I'm not sure anybody knows where Chris Jacobs stands. Nate, let's talk about uh, the people of NY27, a very large agricultural uh, constituency. And Chris Jacobs said in our last segment that he was appointed to the Agriculture Committee and has learned a lot on that. What specifically would you do to help farmers in NY27? Well, first of all, my family has been farmers in NY27 for years in the, in the past, I mean, generations ago. And I've had family and friends who've, 
who currently own and run farms, member of my team, my congressional team own farms. Um, so I understand the issues well. It's not something I'm learning. It's something I've been part of. When I was a local leader, you can go back and look. The local town farmers gave me an award for celebrating agriculture. If you want to know what I'll be like, look at the things I did when I was a small town leader. Uh, I fought for agriculture from the first day in office. I, you know, I dealt with the Farm Bureau. I, I passed the right to farm laws. But on a, on a larger national level, look at I will treat farming and agriculture like a national security issue that it is. And what I mean by that is, if you can see, when there's a problem, we can't go to Chile for our grapes or you know, another country for our dairy. We have to have those product supply chains right here in western New York. And that's something I'll fight to make happen. But I'll also make sure they can actually make a profit. And part of that, and if you listen to our farmers, and Chris Jacobs wants to use scare tactics and talk about illegal aliens and all this stuff, the number one thing our farmers ask for is immigration reform. And they've been asking for it for generations because they cannot run the farms without migrant labor. And whether you guys want to talk about it or not, all of these farms that you go and pick apples at or go and visit, well, not all, but most of them, rely to some extent on migrant labor. So we have to figure out a way so these people can come here in a legal fashion so they're not breaking the law, so we know who is here and where they are, because we don't know right now. And our farms in NY27 have been asking for this for literally generations. Well, why hasn't any progress been made in your view? Because it's easier to say build the wall and keep immigrants out and scare people, like Chris Jacobs did with his commercials. You know, but President Trump has not been in office for generations. So why hasn't it ever been improved upon in the past uh, it's in always, the past administrations? It's always easy to say. It, you know, the Chris Collins promised them he was going to do something about it. He promised them. He promised the farmers we'll figure out a way to create a work visa program that works for you. But it's not because most people don't realize to the extent that these farms rely on migrant labor. And so when they start to talk about it in a more public sphere on the radio like this, it's not politically popular. But it's the reality that we face that these farms will not be functioning unless we figure out a way to reform immigration. Uh, tell us uh, your view about uh, early voting, Nate. I know that you've been encouraging people on your Twitter account to get out there and vote. Uh, what, what are you hearing from your, from your uh, folks when you're campaigning about early voting and your view on that? Well, if you, go, if you go county by county, we are so far outnumbered. It's ridiculous. So, again, it's totally undemocratic because if you're a Democrat, what's the point of voting, right? That's what some people feel about NY27 because we're never going to win. Even if every single Democrat votes, it's difficult to get a Democrat elected. If you're a Republican, what's the point of voting because we're going to win no matter what? So that, that's the biggest issue with NY27. But what we're seeing in NY27, just like we saw the last two times I ran, is a surge of enthusiasm that crosses across Republicans and conservatives alike. And the reason why that is, is I don't just give bland talking points. I talk from my heart. People know who I am. I want people to know what I believe. I want people to know that I'm going to fight for health care for every single one of them, whether they call me socialist or whatever else they call me. I am going to fight for you and your families. So I think there's a lot of enthusiasm out there. and We're excited about what comes next. You know, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, Health Care Act because there's obviously a lot of talk about uh, the repeal of that and what the replacement might be and that there really hasn't been a replacement plan offered by uh, the current administration. 
Uh, how do you think you could affect change with uh, the Affordable Care Act or, or some other incarnation of that? Well, I've been talking about it since I first ran for office. The first thing we need is to cover every single American, period. No more excuses. And they try to scare you to think you don't deserve that or we can't handle that as a country. But we are the only developed country. Let me say it again. We are the only developed country that does not cover every single one of its citizens. Not one is like us. And on top of that, we are the most expensive system in the entire world, by far, with the, some of the worst results, as you can see in the COVID situation. So what we have right now is extreme. It's reckless. And no matter what President Trump says, he is suing right now in the Supreme Court. You can look up the brief. You can say fake news all you want. Go look the brief up. You're all smart. Go to the Supreme Court website and read it. He is attacking pre-existing conditions as we speak. And the week after the election, they're going to decide that Supreme Court case. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be one of hundreds, but I'm going to be one of our congressmen. I'm going to go there and be a voice for health care for every single American. Chris Jacobs won't say that. Trump won't say it. Well, Trump does say it, but then he doesn't do anything. The problem with President Trump is he has all the right talking points, but none of the right action. And look, at, it, he's right. he was right about trade deals. But the problem is our trade deficit is bigger than ever right now. He was right about health care. He said we should cover every single American. But instead of doing that, he gave tax cuts to guys like Chris Jacobs, who never worked a day in his life. 85% of the benefits to 1% of the people. We need to get – listen, I will be – I'm not going to be the Democratic congressman. I'm not going to be the Republican congressman. I'm going to be the middle-class congressman. My background reflects who I am, and that's what I'm going to fight for when I'm in Washington. Nate, we asked Congressman Jacobs about term limits. If you were in Congress, would you be in support of term limits? I passed him on Grand Island. And now listen, Chris Jacobs said term limits. Remember his commercial? Two words, term limits. But he didn't do anything for term limits when he was in the state senate. Well, he proposed legislation. He didn't do a thing. I passed term limits my first thing in office on Grand Island. The first thing I did. And it, they fought me on it, and I got it passed. Of course I'll be for term limits. And I'm the only person who can say that I actually have a record passing a law in New York State implementing term limits. I'm totally for term limits. Chris Jacobs is not for term limits because he's been a career politician. You know, he always talked about it, but he didn't do anything. Nate, uh, you and the president do have one thing in common. You both tweet a lot. And um, looking at your Twitter feed, um, you were talking about the, the Bon Jovi letter that um, <laughs> it was an open letter from Bon Jovi to Buffalo saying he'll never come back to Buffalo. And he seems to have hard feelings about what happened when there was talk about him trying to buy the Buffalo Bills a few years ago. And then you made a reference to Michael Caputo again, that he lied about a, a heck of a lot more than Bon Jovi. Uh, the man has been diagnosed with uh, a very serious cancer uh, diagnosis. Isn't it kind of in poor taste to go after a person who's battling a disease, no matter what his political ilk is? Well, I'm not wishing him, you know, sickness, but it's important also to address the type of things that he's advocated for. And that article I posted talks about how he lied to the people of Western New York. So it would be strange for me not to reference it. I mean, that article that was number one in the Buffalo News today referenced how Caputo manipulated the people of Western New York, just like he manipulated the people of Western New York regarding my relationship to Delaware North and how they terminated me just like he represented the relationship to Chris Jacobs and how Chris Jacobs is advocated for on behalf of Delaware North. 
just like he advocated for Chris Collins endlessly on the radio. And look how that worked out as Chris Collins is in jail now. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it would be inappropriate to wish him poor to, you know, hope he becomes ill um, or, or, or becomes more sick. And I would never wish that upon him. But it would be wrong to neglect the fact that he's advocated for these things when I'm referencing an article that talks about him. But, Nate, don't you think in these times, I mean, we are so device, uh, divided right now in 2020 that maybe when someone is uh, sick, when someone is suffering, put the gloves down in, until they're better? I mean, don't you think that would set a good message for the, I mean... Maybe, that, you know, maybe you're right about that. That's a good point. And to that extent, I wish the president would not have attacked uh, Gretchen Whitmer yesterday at his rally. I mean, someone that extremists were going to capture and put on trial and, and possibly execute, he was saying, lock her up and laughing about it. So I think there's a lot of extreme rhetoric, including the rhetoric that we saw in Hamburg that, that, that Mr. Jacobs you know, engaged in. And I think we need to fight against it. And you're right. Maybe I'll take your point on that. And I won't talk about Michael Caputo again. And I wish him well. I hope he gets better soon. Well, I think that was a, a nice thing to uh, to say, and I hope you mean it because I don't wish cancer on anybody, and uh, and I know that's not your point either, Nate. But yep. I think it, I think to Joe's point that, and he and I talk about this every week on the show. The nation is so divided, and it's so ugly, and uh, we're not here to you know sing kumbaya to each other, but. I think it's important to talk about issues like this and be careful about what we say publicly about people. So, and I will uh, say, my... can, I, can I add one thing on that one? Sure. I uh, please. totally agree with you. And I want to be in this. I would love to go to a more of a bipartisan way. We can work together and get things done. And you're going to see that in my advertising over the next few months or next few weeks, rather. We're, we're not going to do what Chris, what Jacobs is doing. Jacobs is completely lying about me. He spends millions saying I'm responsible for trade deals. I mean, it's just completely outrageous stuff that's been debunked over and over and over again. And we're not going to do that. We're going to try to send a positive message because we think that this region needs it. And when I get in office, I am going to represent both Republicans and Democrats. And I'll be on this show and other shows, and I'll listen. I am not a career politician. I'm someone who will listen and will learn and will grow as I go through the office. And I hopefully I can get better and better. And Nate, I, I want to say this, as I say to Congressman Higgins uh, when he comes on the show, you know, you and I obviously politically don't see eye to eye, but anytime we ask you to come on, you're always, uh, you always come on with us. You always give us a good interview. So I, I always want to end with that because you do it, and as does uh, Congressman Higgins. You know, obviously we don't have the same political thoughts, but anytime I ask you or Congressman Higgins on, you guys are always quick to respond, and it's always with a yes. So we are very thankful for that. One more thing. One-on-one, -on -one, you're the nicest guy in the whole world, and so is Brenda. And I know we don't agree on a lot of things, but you're good people, and I appreciate you having me on. Well, thanks. Thanks very much, Nate. I appreciate the, clap, the compliments, and I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Good luck on the campaign trail. Take care, guys. See ya. All right, that is Nate McMurray. If you missed any of Nate's interview or Congressman Chris Jacobs, it'll be available on the Radio.com app and on WBEN.com. When we come back after news, we will get a look at state politics. And I have a feeling a supermajority will be mentioned as well. That's all coming up here on Hardline. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.